Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. We'll be discussing how we need to get out of the boat in faith like the Apostle Peter, as well as the importance and purpose of prayer. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't we get started with prayer? Our Father in heaven, I just thank you for this unbelievable turnout today in this group. It means so much to me. It's the highlight of my week. So delighted to get to see everyone. And as we continue our study of Mark this morning, Father, I ask that you just put on our hearts those things that we need to hear, those things in particular that we need to change or do something with. We'll be studying today about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Just give us the will and the way to get out of the boat to do those things that you want us to do and just guide our discussion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Mark chapter 6, and we got down to verse 30, so that's where we'll start. And just to kind of give you the context of where we are, actually flip back over to Mark 6, verse 7. It says, And he, that's Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and he was giving them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. In any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake off the dust from the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. I actually had to do that this weekend. Somebody I was given testimony. I didn't shake off my feet, but I thought about it. Verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So that's the context. That's what happened. Now we're going to see the 12 apostles are coming back. Okay, so let's drop down to verse 30. And it says, And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So now they've come back. Jesus sent them out. By the way, that's what apostle means. It means to be sent out. So now they've come back. And they're reporting to Jesus everything that they had done and the things they had taught. They're probably in Capernaum. That's most likely where they are now when they've come back. Remember, that's Jesus' base for his ministry at that time. And so now they've come back. Verse 31, And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So Jesus recognized that they had a need for rest. If you go look at the similar account in Luke 9, verse 10, it says they withdrew to Bethsaida. I'm going to talk about that later. That can be kind of confusing, and you'll see why in a minute, because it looks like they go somewhere else and then return to Bethsaida. So I'm going to try to explain that in a minute. So I'll come back to that. Just kind of tuck that away, and I'll unpack that later. You also see that their ministry was so intense that they didn't even have time to eat. There were so many people. They're on the Sea of Galilee. That's where Capernaum is. It says in verse 32, And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. These are probably boats that are owned by Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Remember, they're fishing partners. They're four of the apostles, but they were in fishing business as partners. Those are two pairs of brothers. 
in the Sea of Galilee. I've talked to you before. It's really a lake. It's about six or seven miles wide by about 13 miles long, but it can get really rough like a sea, and that's why they call it the Sea of Galilee. So they all get in the boat, verse 33, and the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So they could see Jesus and the apostles get in this boat, and they're going out there. And so these people run along the shoreline because they want to continue to see Jesus' miracles. These are probably more thrill-seekers than true believers. Some may be hoping that Jesus maybe is the Messiah and is going to free them from Rome. Remember, they're looking for a conquering king. Verse 34, and disembarking, so when the boat gets to where they're going, he, Jesus, saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So even though Jesus was trying to take the apostles and get them away to a quiet place, get away from the crowds, as soon as he sees all this multitude of people, he has compassion for them. And so he still wants to try to help them. Can I ask a question about what possibly, I know he's teaching and I know he's telling them who he is, but is there any reference to what exactly he's... Great question. No, that's great. Actually, if you go look at the account in Luke, Luke 9 verse 11 actually says that he was teaching about the kingdom of God and salvation. That's what he was teaching and telling them they needed to repent, but explaining what salvation was all about and what it would look like in the kingdom of God. And he's calling them sheep because sheep are one of the most defenseless animals. They're very defenseless, and they're prone to get lost, just like us, right? That's why we're called sheep. Prone to go astray, and their greatest need as sheep is to learn about salvation and that they need a Savior. That's the only way to get to the kingdom of God. They were spiritually lost. They needed spiritual protection and they needed help spiritually. They need a shepherd. And he says there, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he was trying to tell them that he is the shepherd and he can take care of them. Verse 35, and when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, the place is desolate and it's already quite late. So it's probably just prior to sunset when this conversation is going on. And this word desolate here, what may come to your mind in the English translation is that it's like a desert. It's not a desert because we're going to read in a minute there's grass all around. What this is really talking about, it's a very remote place and there's no food available. They're not anywhere near a town. They're in a remote area. And remember that because when I explain where they are in a little while and what some people view as discrepancies in the accounts, I'm going to try to explain that. So they're saying this is a remote place. It's already quite late. Verse 36, send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples are suggesting that Jesus dismiss the crowd so that they'll go into town into the villages, find something to eat. But Jesus doesn't want to do that. He wants to test the crowd. I think he's doing more testing and training of the apostles here than anything else because there's actually no human solution 
to the situation that we have here, this problem. And so in verse 37, Jesus answers and says to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? That's about eight months worth of wages, well beyond their financial capability. They don't have those kind of resources. But what you see is they are failing to consider Jesus' divine power. They've seen these miracles already that Jesus has done. But they're not even considering Jesus' divine power. They're only focused on a human solution to this problem. Verse 38, And Jesus said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five, five loaves and two fish. And if you go look at the account in John 6, 8 through 9, it actually says Andrew finds this small boy who basically kind of had his lunch kit with him. He had five biscuits and two small fish, really small fish, just like a meal for one person, actually for just a small boy, not near enough to feed. We're going to see there's 5,000 men that are present. There's actually then, in addition to the 5,000 men, women and children. So it's been estimated there's maybe 20 to 25,000 people here. So there's no way you're going to feed 25,000 people with five little biscuits and two little small fish. So what does Jesus do? Verse 39, he commanded them all to recline by groups on the green grass. So you can see this is not desert. This is a nice area. And he's doing that, number one, so they'll be comfortable. But number two, we're going to see he organizes them in a specific way for the food distribution. In this timing, what time of year is this? This is probably around April, just before Passover. When you read in John chapter 6, verse 4, it describes it's about that time. And so this is about a year before Jesus will die on the cross. So verse 40, they reclined in companies of hundreds and of fifties. So he gets them organized so they can pass out the food. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven. So he's giving thanks to God. He blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied, so completely full. Certainly the followers, the multitude here, they probably think, man, this is great being with Jesus. You know, not only is he going to overthrow Rome, but he's going to keep us fed. We're not even going to have to look for food anymore. He's going to totally take care of us. They wanted a physical king. They were not looking for a spiritual king, didn't think they needed a spiritual king. And what we're going to see is eventually they're going to reject Jesus. In fact, I'll just flip over to show you that specifically. I'm going over to John 6, 66, which I've always thought was interesting that this verse is numbered with three sixes. 666. It says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So that's coming. But that's what happened. A lot of people who were following Jesus, eventually they're going to reject him because he's not the conquering king. Let's look at what happens now. So they're all satisfied, verse 43, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. It's interesting. Why 12? Some think, well, now each one of the apostles now has his own basket, his own meal, 
maybe for right then or maybe even for them to eat the next day. This is a perfect supernatural event. You can see there's no waste of God's resources. Everybody there is satisfied. You can see right there in verse 44, and there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. And so when you go look at Matthew 14, 21, you can see it's plus women and children. So maybe 20 to 25,000 people could have been there. But this is so similar. This is just like what God did for the Israelites in the wilderness, feeding the multitudes. It's God's resources that are providing for all these people. Verse 45, and immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the multitude away. So he tells the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit. There are people who like to say there's all kinds of errors in the Bible that like to use this to say, see, here's one. Because as I pointed out just a minute ago, Luke 9:10, where it's describing this, says that they went to Bethsaida initially. So like they're already in Bethsaida. And now here Jesus is telling them to go to Bethsaida after they've already done this miracle. So that kind of seems weird. Is there a possible conflict? In John six seventeen, which is also describing this, says Jesus told the disciples to go to Capernaum. Okay, so like, man, this is really, conf- how do we explain this? It's like they're all telling different things. By the way, this miracle that I just read, there's only two miracles that show up in all four Gospels. And it's this one and Jesus' resurrection. These are the only two miracles that are in all four Gospels, which is interesting. But here, there appears to be a little conflict in the location. So what are some possible explanations? Well, one possible explanation is that there could possibly be two towns called Bethsaida. And by the way, that means house of fish, which is also interesting since this miracle is happening here. But there's one town that is called Bethsaida Julius, and that's on the northeast shore. And then there's one that is possibly called Bethsaida of Galilee on the west next to Capernaum. The only problem with that is there hasn't been to date any archaeology that would actually point out that there are two cities called Bethsaida. So you say, well, okay, maybe it's possible. Maybe that's an explanation. I think the better explanation is that there's only one Bethsaida. And where they were, they were just outside of Bethsaida. We see in the grass, it's a desolate area. They're in a remote part And the feeding of the 5,000 took place just outside of Bethsaida. So it was near Bethsaida, but they actually weren't in the city. They were very close to that, as I say, in this very remote area. And when Jesus told them, where we saw in Mark 6.35, to go back to Capernaum, what he's actually saying is when you go look at the actual language, it can mean first head back. He's telling them, go along the shore. First head back, like point the boat towards Bethsaida, but go to Capernaum. Head this way and then go to Capernaum, which I think is probably the better explanation. Staying along the shore. Stay along the shore. And we're going to see why possibly he wanted them to at least stay along the shore. Hang with me. And I think this will all hang together. We see they followed the shoreline along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
heading that way, heading to Bethsaida, and then on to Capernaum. That's how they were going to go. So I think that's a good explanation of what's going on here. Because where it says in verse 45, go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, that can be translated go towards Bethsaida. So like go towards there and then go to Capernaum, which is what John 6, 17 says he told them to go to Capernaum. That's their ultimate destination where they're going back to. I hope I didn't confuse you, but if you're around people who say all kinds of errors in the Bible, here's one, you got an explanation. Okay, 46. And after bidding them farewell, Jesus departed to the mountain to pray. So he puts them in the boat, tells them to head back to Capernaum by way of Bethsaida, and he sends them on, and now he goes to the mountain to pray. And Jesus we see this. He always sought the will of the Father. He's probably praying for the disciples' faith to mature as they're going to encounter another miracle here upcoming. And he's probably praying to them about that. The same account in Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus learned of John the Baptist's death just prior to this miracle. So maybe Jesus is praying about John the Baptist, perhaps in any event. He had plenty to pray about, verse 47. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. So this time, this is now probably between 6 and 9 p.m., so it's dark outside, and they're on their way, verse 48. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. Let me unpack this a little bit. There's a lot in here. Yeah, first of all, now it's really getting very, very late. This really should have only taken them about two hours to get to where they were going, rowing. But now we see they've been at it for a very long time. They've been out there for hours and hours and not very far. In fact, we can see in John 6, 19, it says they had rowed about three or four miles. So they hadn't gone very far. The fourth watch means that it's now about 3 to 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch. So they've been out there six to nine hours, and they've only been able to go a few miles. So it's rough out there. There's a lot of wind. And these are fishermen. They're used to being out in this kind of water. Matt 14, 24 says there were crashing waves. And so it's pretty rough out there. And the last time there was a storm, you remember they were with him. Let's just go back over there and look at that. Mark 4, 37. Just flip back over to the left. Let's read that real quick. Mark 4, 37 says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he, Jesus, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So that had happened not that long before this account. And so now we see the sea is rough again, and they see Jesus walking on the water. This can also be confusing. It says he intended to pass them by. 
Like they're struggling in the wind and he's just cruising on to Capernaum. It's like, what's taking you all so long? A better translation, I don't know if anybody has something else in their translation, but a better translation would be that he's intending to come alongside them. That same phrase is used in the Old Testament when God passed by Moses to reveal himself to Moses. Pass by doesn't mean like, I don't care about you, I'm going to beat you there. It means he's intending to come alongside them, okay? So at this point, they're shocked, they're exhausted, they're confused, they're terrified. Matthew 14, 24 says that they were many stadia from the land, and a stadia is about an eighth of a mile. And as I said, John 6, 19 says that they had rowed about three to four miles. So that kind of tells you they're out there, they're not that close to land, and it's really rough. And it says, verse 49, but when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. I love this. What's interesting about this is when he said, it is I, that can be translated, I am, meaning God. And if you'll just go with me over to Exodus 3, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. Go over to Exodus 3. I've always loved this. This is where God is telling Moses he needs to go talk to Pharaoh. Let me start in Exodus 3:11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Remember, at this point, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And God is telling Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, set them free. And Moses is saying, he's not going to listen to me. Who am I to talk to Pharaoh? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, and God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say to them? So it's like, okay, when they say, Well, what's God's name? What do you want me to say? What am I supposed to say? Verse 14, This I love this. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I love that. So anyway, Jesus is using similar language here. Let's go back over to Mark 6. So he said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, the miracle that just happened with the loaves. And they certainly didn't remember a few lessons ago when he had calmed the waters in the sea, but their heart was hardened. We're going to see now the boat is going to miraculously arrive at their destination. It says in John 6, 21, if you go look at that, just all of a sudden the boat's where it needs to be. The other thing I want to point out here is they still don't believe after this feeding, after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men and plus women and children. But when this happened, this was a real catalyst that caused them to now acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. 
when we see over in Matthew 14:33, let's just look at that real quick. Matthew 14:33. I'll go over there. It says, this is the same account. And those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. So now they're beginning to grow in their faith. They can see that Jesus controls nature. They now are seeing that he has divine power. He must be God. Okay, so Mark leaves it out of his gospel, but it's very important and I want to touch on it. Something else happens during this walking on water that is not reported in Mark's gospel, and I'll explain why in a minute. Flip with me over to Matthew 14 and drop down to, just so you can see it's the same account, let's just drop down to like verse 25. Matthew 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, you can see, same time, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. So now you can see it's the same account. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, here's what's left out of Mark's gospel. And I'll explain why shortly. And Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, and this is Peter, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him. I already read that saying, you are certainly the son of God. Let's touch on this a little bit. Well, let me first explain why is this not in Mark's gospel? Well, Mark is not an apostle. A lot of what Mark got, the information he received, it's certainly inspired by God, but he got a lot of the accounts of what happened from Peter. Some people even say Mark's gospel is really Peter's gospel because Peter explained to Mark all these things. Mark was not there. And Peter, being humble in explaining things that happened, did not want to talk about himself. He wanted to bring glory to God. And so that's one explanation of why this is left out of Mark's gospel. Let's look at this for a minute. Peter wanted to get to Jesus. He had enough faith to get out of the boat. That took some faith. Now, he didn't have enough to walk all the way to Jesus, but he had enough faith to get out of the boat. And my question to this group is, what is God asking each of us to do that we're still just sitting in the boat? And Larry, the thing I love about that too is notice how he starts to sink. Mm-hmm. When you water, do you start to sink, like you slowly go down. It's just a fascinating kind of reality of like, that's just God's grace in Peter's life. Because when you're in water, you usually just, you're, you're, there's not a start to sink. <laughs> <laughs> For us, he's just asking us to get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. If you'll get out of the boat, and trust me, I'll take you from there. When Peter became afraid and he started crying out, Lord, save me, he says, hey, why don't you trust me? You did good. You got out of the boat, but just trust me. I'm with you. Even in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when he says, go and share the gospel with others and make disciples and baptize them. And how does he end it? And lo, I will be with you always. He's with us. So don't be afraid to go do it. Just go do it. I'm asking you to do it. Get out of the boat. Go do it. And 
by the way, I'm going to be with you. You don't need to fear. So what things are we being asked to do even today that we fear to even get out of the boat? It's easy to find fault with these apostles. Later, Peter will deny him three times. It's easy to say, well, gosh, why did he do that? Look, he walked on the water, you know. It's easy to do that, but think of how many times we tell Jesus no all the time. I also love the fact that it says, Lord, save me. I mean, I think that's just the quintessential prayer that it's we all awesome. have. Is that you know, save me. In Peter's mind, save me from the wind, save me from myself. And Lord, save me. That's a great prayer. It's one of the best prayers to remember. It's the shortest prayer. You can just say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. It's a good prayer. In Jesus' name. Lord, help me. I'm fascinated. There's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of confusing. He had the trust to step out. Dude's wearing a sea anchor. He's in robes. He stepped out. It's late. It's dark. It's cold. It's windy. He stepped out. He begins to sink. He's not falling the way he knows he should. And he still has the presence and the grounding to call out, Lord, save me. So it's not that, like, what layer of doubt? just an interesting thing because there's no question he's still fully you're it yeah. so it's just fascinating what then he started that. seeing the waves and the wind lost focus lost like, something it's just like, oh man it's just this is kind of he became afraid he was clearly all in so yeah. something yeah yeah well and also anytime you take your eyes off Jesus I think that's the whole point of it you yeah. take your eyes off Jesus and you focus on the obstacle as opposed to Jesus then you're in sync yeah he went off his instincts his instinct was, hey, I can trust I'm this. With you. Well, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It's not me. It's what me. are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing out here? And Jesus goes, no, it's not you. It's me. I like that. I like that a lot. Don't rely on yourself. He started relying on himself rather than trusting in Jesus. And the same thing that happened to us. What do we want All to do the Yeah. Not, oh, wait a minute. Hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Okay, let's finish out verse 53. I'm back over Mark 6, verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. So that's the southwest corner of Capernaum, very near Capernaum. And that's where Jesus landed the boat. And they moored to the shore. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately, do you see how many immediately? I know I point this out every time, but Mark's gospel moves quick. Everything's quick, immediately. The people recognized him. And when you go look at this same account over in John 6, 26 to 58, in John's account, it tells about how Jesus then went on to the synagogue in Capernaum and began preaching. Mark just concludes this section with a final commentary, really, of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. So let's just go on. I've got lots of notes, but let's just go on and read. So all these people come out, the people who recognize him. And ran about that whole country and began to carry about on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. So wherever they knew Jesus was, they bring the sick out there. Verse 56, and wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and entreating him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it, they were being cured. So we've talked about some of this, but just to summarize, we really need to depend on God for everything and just trust him. Get out of the boat. Don't depend on ourselves. Do what God asks us to do and just trust him and let him make it happen. We fail when we start thinking we got this.
Jesus is always watching and praying for us. He's with us. Even in our times of trouble, He's always with us. The storms that come up in our lives, He's there. All we got to do is turn to Him. It's clear that Jesus asks us all to show compassion to others, show compassion to those in need, share the gospel with others. How often are we doing that? And then finally, just like we see Jesus doing, find a quiet place that you can go to and talk to God and just be quiet and listen to what he has to say. Once I started doing that in my prayers, it was awesome. If you think about prayer, it's kind of an interesting concept. In a way, it's kind of strange. Like, why would we pray when God already knows everything? I mean, what's the point of prayer when he knows everything? Well, what's helped me is I think about it more as an honor that God is allowing us to come directly to him now because of what Jesus has done for us. And for whatever reason, he's a loving God. He wants us being part of his plan. And he wants us to pray and be part of it and have conversation with him about it and be part of it. And then he wants to do the work in and through us. So we're told to pray. So let's pray. Let's all try to pray even more than we're doing now. Questions, comments, what are some of the things that resonated with you today? This reminds me of Job 42. Whenever God tells Job to pray for his friends and then he would forgive him. He could have just forgiven him. Like, why not just be like, ah, you guys messed up, but you're good. But he says, went and did what the Lord had told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. It blew my mind that God had to tell Job to pray. He prays, he accepts the prayer, and heals his friend. Mind-blowing. So it, what that shows me is that we get to activate the will of God. Like, God invites us into a divine thing. And that's why I think sometimes... I just don't think we have a heart for prayer in our culture because we're too busy. And we think that we're all about planning, but we're not about prayer. And so if, if we thought that prayer had as much of a win or as much productivity as planning, we'd probably do it more. But here you see clearly that with Job and with all these other actions, that God is inviting us into the process, activating his will through our prayer. And I think there's greater productivity and more prayer than it is planning. Absolutely. And to add to what Chris is saying here, God tells Job to pray in the very same way that he tells you and I to pray. Because of Job's obedience, mm -hmm. God does what he does for Job's friends. Mm -hmm. Why will we not obey the will of, obey God's voice and pray mm -hmm. when he requests that we pray? always and that's part of the role that the holy spirit plays if we're really in tune with god and the holy spirit the holy spirit takes our prayers and turns them into beautiful things and then also puts on our heart the things that we need to be praying that are within the will of god so we become part of the process as chris was describing i got a comment that at the beginning of the lesson when we talked about feeding the five thousand with the five loaves and the two fish in man's eye, we don't see the resources of God, and we see a limited resource world. And if we only turn to God to supply our needs, they would be met. But if we keep turning to ourselves to meet our own needs, we're not going to meet them. Fall short. That's good. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast 
and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.